0: We believe that structure and architecture are a very beautiful twins. I suppose we love, if you can imagine an ancient cathedral where there's one material, which is both structure and wall and roof, that the integrity of that kind of building is extremely beautiful. And that the concrete in a project, when it's expressed and the structures express and synthesized with space, that it has a kind of a quality which holds gravity in a different way.
1: Hello and welcome to One to One. I'm Amelia and this week I'm speaking with Yvonne Farrell, the director of Dublin-based Grafton Architects. Grafton was recently awarded the RIBA's first ever international prize for their Universidad de Ingeniería y Tecnología or UTEC in Lima, Peru. The prize celebrates architecture that according to the RIBA provides, quote, a range of innovative responses to the role of public architecture, providing major new additions to their contexts and communities. Farrell gave me the background to the project and its design process, while reflecting on how the award might influence the firm in the future. Yvonne Farrell of Grafton Architects, welcome to One to One, and congratulations on the win. The RIBA's prize celebrates, and I quote, "...civil architecture that empowers people and societies to innovate and progress." So to Grafton, what exactly does it mean to call such an award the International Prize? First
0: of all, we'd like to say how absolutely thrilled we are to be the winners of this prize, of this award, not only for us as Grafton architects and our team and the design team, but also for the client. The client, Eduardo Hochschild, and his teams wanted to make a new university from scratch. So not only is it a new building, but also they're building up a curriculum in a very, very short time. So for everybody involved, it is a wonderful endorsement of belief so it's uh, how can i express how these things are when people say prizes don't matter and they don't when you work hard and you're happy with the result but when a gift like this comes out of the blue you really realize how much pressure everybody works under. And these laurels or these gifts that come by way of an institute saying that the work is of such a caliber that it needs to be recognized. It's a wonderful thing. It makes you smile. And I think from the workmen who put the building together right through the whole construction, the design teams on different parts of the world to the client, it's a win-win situation and a very, very happy time because I'm sure all the architects listening realize and know know from their experience that architecture is not an easy profession. It's a hard graph to go from idea to reality. Uh, We describe ourselves as translators of need into space and every architect goes through that kind of experience where you take the dreams and wishes of strangers and that you try to translate them into something both inventive and worthwhile. And it's a hard profession with huge responsibilities, but because it's so worthwhile and we say that architecture is the new geography, that its impact on the earth is so phenomenal now since 2008, more people live in urban structures than in, if you like, nature, then what we do as architects has more impact and more social responsibility, we would argue. So the prize is, we're just absolutely delighted,
1: Amelia. We are like Cheshire cats smiling. Regarding that issue of translation, picking the client's wish and turning it into the reality and, and the difficulties inherent to that, Grafton Architects has described UTEC as a vertical campus. And I'm wondering if that's something that came in your own interpretation of the client's wishes or was whether that was something that they expressly asked for.
0: No, this was a result of a competition. The competition was set, an international competition, and we decided that we would do it. And the terms of the competition was for a, a new, as I said, a new university with large laboratories, medium-sized laboratories, libraries and auditoria. And so th- there was a need for these elements or these rooms. And then there was the site. And Lima was a city that we didn't know. Our office is based in Dublin, Ireland, on the edge of the Atlantic. And Lima is a desert city. It's 12 degrees south of the equator. So you would imagine that it would be very hot. But because of the Humboldt current, which comes up from Antarctica, the collision of the heat and the cool keeps Lima, roughly in the 20s degrees Celsius, which means it's very pleasant all year round. So the description of the vertical campus arrived really through our, if you like, investigation of the client's needs and the site. And the site is like a boomerang shaped site, if you can imagine. It's in a valley in from the Pacific Ocean. And we looked at the requirements, needs, looked at the site, looked at this issue of this very pleasant climate. And then we asked the question educationally, we said, if you have a climate which is beautiful and modestly pleasant all the year round, why can we not have circulation and everything possible outside so that inside and outside could blur and that we would only have the rooms that really needed air conditioning, air conditioned. And because of this sense of movement and connection, and also because of the the sun At the 12 degrees, we wanted to use the rooms corbelling. We had the bigger rooms on the lower levels, the smaller ones as you move up. And those rooms slide out from one another, forming a corbelled inner space. And the consequence of that also has the roofs of the bigger elements become tiny gardens in the same way as Machu Picchu has these tiny intimate gardens in this vast mountain city. The building then responded to, on one side, a very, very busy motorway and on the other side, a very interesting residential area. So we use the section by stacking the needs and carving out the resultant space. So that's where the term vertical campus comes from. It means that students from the Andes or from the deserts or wherever are on open circulation and are viewing to the Andes or the Pacific or the city. And for us, architecture is about highlighting the specific places on the earth that you can have a choice as an architect, we would say, that you can either make work that could be anywhere. You could build in Alaska or Saudi or whatever, and there's similarity. We would be the opposite on the spectrum of thought. We would say that this earth is very precious and that cultural difference is what makes the world the way it is. And the beauty of the earth and the responsibility on architects, we would argue, is to heighten that sense of place. So for us to be in a place near 40 meter high cliffs to the Pacific with a breeze where you could have external circulation, which was both educationally interesting because you could have students walking on these bridges, looking into laboratories of subjects maybe they hadn't considered and becoming intrigued by it or watching one another. So it was a a scenario built up. We like to describe it as the physics of culture, where we go as strangers. We assess in a scientific way what are the climatic conditions. There's nine millimetres of rain per year. There's no need for insulation or waterproofing. And what liberation does that give architects?
1: and can we invent or reassess the norm? So you've mentioned a fair amount of ways in which you are able to kind of capitalize on the more either temperate aspects of the site or simply just the visual and landscape beauty of it. But what were some of the more difficult aspects of engaging particularly with the site given that it also is so close to a highway?
0: Well, one is that uh, Lima is in a seismic area, so we had to obviously deal with the fact that hopefully we never experience the seismic properties of the building, but working with uh, local engineers and for, well before that our engineers here in in Ireland and then working with local engineers as we made the building, the Lower levels, say the car parking areas are actually embedded in the earth. And then above them are these huge seismic isolators, which are about a metre diameter. And these, if you like, allow the rest of the buildings to be on springs above. So the the theory is, and I hope the actuality is also, that part of the building remains embedded in the moving earth and the building itself moves gently and sways in the event of movement. But the constraints of the site, it was amazing. When we won the competition, Amelia, we had seen a building built by Hans Hollein, the Austrian architectural firm in Lima, and we contacted them, called to their office, and they very kindly advised us on how they had actually built a building from Vienna to Lima. And through them, we met local architects who became our site architects, Alejandro Schell and Raphael Mistreta. And all the drawings were done in Dublin and in Ireland. All design was done here. And through working with them, it actually worked out extremely well. The speed at which the contract from its beginning to end was phenomenal. When we were on site, there were 900 men working. It was like watching a medieval cathedral being built. It was phenomenal, each in their orange work outfits, in this concrete structure. It was amazing. And the disciplines, I suppose, or the issues that arose was the speed of construction and trying to, they needed the university very quickly. What was interesting for us was that this allowed us to make a kind of matrix so that it's really platforms for living, uh, platforms for education, where you have the services become, if you like, not as disciplined. This is not a building like a Swiss clock. This is a a series of platforms on which life happens and change happens. So the speed of the construction, if you like, was supported by our architectural attitude and structural attitude, which is that architecture and structure are really the surfaces on which life happens. And the, it was amazingly fast. It was terrific, brilliant project managers, terrific builders. Looking back on it, it was an amazing, from the word go I think some projects, all the fortune lines of of positivity somehow align. A terrific client, terrific competition, great team.
1: It was a terrific process to be part of. How long specifically did it take from, as you said, start to finish?
0: (laughs) You won't believe it, When it was really funny. When, When we got the invitation for the formal opening, we thought they got the date wrong. The competition was in November 2011. Then the planning was lodged in the following year, December 2012. The building license was in August 2013. Then the construction begins in December 2013. And the formal opening of the main section was 2014. So these are all happening within one year, like one year of each other. And it was incredible that the speed, ambition and focus of UTEC to make this School of Engineering uh, so fast. This is phase one of three phases. The planning is for the whole, if you can imagine a boomerang shape in plan and the planning license is for the the full amount. But phase one of the university, which is what we have completed in this phase, is for the undergraduate as they build up and they will be building the, the next phases as the university expands.
1: And Grafton has a fair amount of experience working on other projects for universities and and educational institutions. How would you compare UTEC to those projects and specifically what it kind of has in common, but also how it stands apart from those prior projects? Very interesting question,
0: Amelia. We won a competition for a project in Milan in Italy for a university called Bocconi. And When we won that, it was the biggest project that we had dealt with. We have been in practice since the late 1970s here in Ireland, and we had been building schools and houses and apartments, a very mixed portfolio. When we built the Bocconi project, and just before we built that, we had been working on projects with Trinity College here in Dublin, where we were beginning to move into making larger scale structures and to see structure as being something that was getting lost in contemporary work. So in the, the Bocconi project, which was an enormous project for us, it was between 45 and 65,000 square meters in the city of Milan, a rationalist city, a very, had been very badly damaged in the Second World War. And this site, this was for a thousand professors, offices for a thousand professors and administrators. A big hall for a thousand people and five halls for 300 people. So we were dealing with a huge project where we discovered that when you build large scale structure, which we did with large beams spanning 25 meters carving into the earth, that structure is dissolved by light, that you can have a primitive sense. We have one cantilever where the big hall leans out over the main street. And it's 22 meters and has this primitive sense of gravity. So when we were doing Bocconi, we were doing other projects, obviously, in terms of structure. And when we were doing the competition for UTEC and we were weaving this kind of open natural air and setting the structure, we set up the main circulation structure of the UTEC project every 20 metres with intermediate structure at 10. So we set up this kind of carcass, if you like, of structure and circulation, which sets up a kind of a three-dimensional matrix in which the university happens. So the influence of one project to another from uh, projects in Ireland, from projects in Italy. I mean, we're building two projects in France at the moment and two in England. And each project fertilizes the other. They're different because they're in different places. But the sense of, for us, I suppose, we don't make buildings where we kind of wrap up and hide the bones of the building. We believe that structure and architecture are very beautiful twins that I suppose we love. If you can imagine an ancient cathedral where where there's one material which is both structure and wall and roof, that the integrity of that kind of building is extremely beautiful. And that the concrete in a project, when it's expressed and the structures express and synthesize with space, that it has a kind of a quality which uh, holds gravity in a different way. It's not wrapped with layers of other materials like an onion. In the UTEC project and maybe in the in the Bocconi project in Milan, we are trying to hold space. We often quote, there's a beautiful quote by Alejandro de la Sota, the Spanish, wonderful Spanish architect. And he once said that architects should make as much nothing as possible. And we find that Very interesting because people are in the nothing. It's like the void of
1: a bowl. People are in the space between. And that's what interests us, I suppose. It's also quite remarkable given that this is the first, the inaugural international prize that RIBA is awarding to, to anyone. And so by having this kind of premier position, how do you hope the award will influence the practice when the reputation of it hasn't necessarily been set yet or the identity of the prize is still kind of being determined, in fact, being set in a way by your your winning of it. I think that we're very conscious
0: that we were strangers in a different place and that they, what we try to do is to culturally understand another place and to try and gift that. St- the understanding of strangers to try and crack open the possibilities of, of new understandings of place rather than coming with a product that we would come with the facility of imagining a new Lima, a new Peru. I think if the award is to mean anything for us or for other architects, then it's really a a kind of a, a call for resistance that each place is specific and that it's not so much that we, I don't think this is a stamp for a certain kind of architecture. It's an endorsement of a certain way of thinking that you get a client who believes in education and in art and architecture willing to take gambles on strangers but the responsibility then on strangers to interpret need and city and culture in a sensitive and in a, a sustainable i mean what we're trying to do i suppose is to say that the breeze from the pacific is of cultural value and the breeze that that goes through the building is as much of value as a beautiful Wrapping might be in some other building where the temperature is terrible or uh, extreme. So I suppose the prize means, I mean, it's a very brave prize for the RIBA to give because at one level, it's kind of shocking. It's more an experimental. And also the feeling of the building is like contemporary medieval. One of the things about the shape of the site, which is interesting, because the site is curved. Because the site is a curve like a boomerang, it means that even though the structure is at every 20 meters, because it's shifting, if it was rectangle, it would be a very long, repeated element, let's say. Because it's shifting, it means that each 20 meters, there's a new vista. There's no continuous vista. So the same feeling as you get in a medieval city where you're, you know, you move along and then you move to a next one and you move and you move. The physicality of the building is better than we imagined. What's very interesting about architecture is that you can talk about it We have an expression, you can talk about it till the cows come home. But in the end, architecture is not about words. The words of architecture are spatial words. And that for Shelley and I, when the scaffolding came down in the interior of the vertical campus and we were walking through it for the first time, we looked at each other and kind of went, it's got more feeling. And I think that that's what's interesting about it. Your listeners or people who are looking at it online or looking at the image of us, that the eye in modern society is the, the kind of arbiter. But the beautiful work uh, writing by Johannes Palasma, work which describes you know the eyes of the skin, where he's calling on us all and particularly within our profession, that really the body is the arbiter of space and that You have to walk in something and feel with your skin and experience something that that is architecture. It's not a visual thing. I mean, for some people looking at the UTEC project, it looks like a a friend of mine described it to me as a ghost ship in porcelain, which I thought was, (laughs) was rather beautiful. But some people will see it as a kind of a dinosaur carcass. But It is something that we believe more and more in, that that architecture is an experiential discipline. It's not a visual. And you could argue that Utec is odd looking, but it comes from, if you like, a, a, a deep effort to try and invent a way of being outside and inside simultaneously. So the consequence of that architecturally is a rather bony, eyeless, gaunt object that as you're traveling on the motorway, you see this kind of ripple of what we call the arena for learning. It's a large structure representing engineering, but the feeling of it is different. So it's a kind of a, how do we say, the challenge is a spatial challenge and the continuity of one material
1: allows us to make a kind of a carved mountain. This is like the inside of a mountain. And aside from the fact that the building is for a university, the prize is given in a awarding of a piece of architecture that is civil architecture that empowers people and societies to innovate and progress in the RABA's words. In as many architecturally inclined words as you like, or whichever vocabulary you choose to call upon, how would you describe precisely through the design, how UTEC makes that possible? How can it actually empower people and societies to innovate? I think that
0: In a general way, we could have done three towers for the three phases with lifts and a student goes in, presses a button, goes up to the fifth floor, has a lecture, goes down the lift, goes home. That could have been the response to a a program of three phased university, contemporary university. I think the empowerment for us, if I was to describe them more, is that if you're a student who is with their laptop on a small Terrace looking out to the ocean or looking at the city or looking at the sky or the moon, that it throws them both introvertedly to the community of scholars they're part of, but also makes them aware of where they are. And I think that that empowerment, say for the student or the professor, is very much in the way we think. And also in terms of civic architecture, part of the brief and part of the competition brief is the, to have the, the large hall and the smaller hall to become a cinema where art and the community in the future uh, will feel more that the thresholds will blur. I mean, we're in South American cities, security is a different issue than it is here in Europe. So there are layers, mindful layers of security in most buildings in the city. So we're trying to not only blur the boundaries of climate, but also blur the boundaries of layers of society within the city of Lima. So the motorway, when you're passing by in the motorway, you can kind of see what's going on from the at the speed you're going at on the eastern side to the Barranco, which is the more residential or these kind of cascading gardens. And There's a very beautiful essay, I think it's called Platform and Horizon by William Curtis. And the description reminds us of the beautiful sketches by the Danish architect Jorn Utzen, where he did these beautiful sketches of the um, Mayan temples in Mexico, where platforms and layers also connect you beyond. So I think there's the, the civic is really trying to emphasize connections beyond the intimacy of the university itself. To kind of throw out the gaze of the student and professors to the city and vice versa.
1: Well, Yvonne, thank you so much for talking with me. And again, congratulations on Utex Win.
0: I really appreciate the time to talk about it with you, Amelia. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for listening to Architect Sessions One to One with Yvonne Farrell of Grafton Architects. Dana Lavoinov edits our podcast, and Matt Skillings composed the music. Myself and Paul Petrunia are the producers of One to One. New episodes come out each Monday. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music. And if you like the podcast, please consider leaving us a review. We are at Arc Sessions on Twitter, and you can always email us at connect at Thanks again for listening to One to One.